Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by McCurdy Trained. What makes McCurdy Trained special isn't the workouts or results. It's the relationships they're willing to develop with their athletes over time. Through those relationships, that's where you end up seeing the growth. And being a good coach isn't about killer workouts or fads. It's about adapting and adjusting, being willing to listen and understand. And coaching is an art. And McCurdy Trained has some of the best artists in the world at the ready. 2019 is just upon us. And McCurdy Trained caps how many they work with. So if you're interested in signing up, send them an inquiry at www.mccurdytrained.com. And they will get back to you with a phone call or email as soon as possible. Relationship starts with just a call. And they are at the ready. Also, big shout out to Megaton Coffee for fueling the Rambling Runner podcast. I love that coffee. You know I do. And it's twice as caffeinated, but so darn good. Check them out at megatoncoffee.com. So today's episode is with Crystal Harris. It's great that the McCurdy Trained Group is sponsoring this episode because Crystal talks about James, who's also my coach, a ton in this episode. She just absolutely did the most remarkable thing at the California International Marathon last weekend. She qualified for the Olympic trials by one second. That's right. One second. 244.59 in an absolutely epic finish with two other women who were right at the cusp of getting to the Olympic trials. One did one didn't, but we'll see. There's a chance that the third one could get in. Um, that's kind of to be determined at this point. But either way, it was an absolutely miraculous finish. Go over to my Instagram page, rambling underscore runner. I'm posting the video of that finish um, as part of the uh, as part of basically the post for this episode. So scroll over, swipe left, and you can see the video. It's also on the McCurdy Trained site as well. It really is remarkable, and shoot, this is a remarkable person. I, I keep saying that word over and over again, but it's just true. She had a um, a lead-up to CIM in the last six months or so that was really on point. She did a lot of really good things. However, if you go back further in time, it is not the traditional Olympic trials qualifying background. She has dealt with so many injuries, highs and lows in training, and even at one point becoming very close to even quitting the sport altogether. So I have no doubt that you will like this episode with Crystal Harris. Hello, Crystal, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I've been wanting to do this for a little while, but I will tell you what, I'm so excited that last weekend went in your favor because it's always (laughs) nice to talk to someone who's coming off a high. And first of all, congratulations on your result at CIM. It was just just remarkable. So first thing, congratulations. 244.49. Yeah, thank you so much. So, so happy. (laughs) I can only imagine. Now, when you're, and I, listen, we're going to talk about this race plenty, especially <laughs> the dramatics at the end, which you may or may not have even been aware of in the moment. But when you were coming down that finishing straight, you make that turn, you know, you got like, you know, mm. roughly 25 to 35 seconds remaining, depending on how fast you're going. How much were you looking at the clock as you were coming down the path? You know, <laughs> announcer because I was not feeling so hot after like mile 21 Um, so I kind of struggled from probably mile 21 and a half to 24 Um, and even then I remember with probably three quarters of a mile left to go the 245 pace guy who at this point was by himself was screaming at every female he could see that we had to go with him we had to run this mile at 610 pace and we just, we had to go. Um, and he kind of put a little bit of distance on me and there for a second, I kind of remember thinking, Oh my goodness, I'm not going to make it. And I rounded the corner and the announcer 
when I could finally hear him, he was like, you have 20 seconds left to get here. And I remember there were three or four women all right there. Um, and, you know, thankfully I was able to take off. I had a little bit left, but um, as we saw, you know, unfortunately the one woman fell, um, the woman that finished right ahead of me started projectile vomiting as she crossed the finish line. So, I mean, it, it was crazy. I will, I will never forget those 20 seconds. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> and we talk about that time, you know, because obviously getting to 245 is the Olympic Olympic trials qualifying B standard, which is why that's such a significant number. Um, you know, why you have the pacer and the announcer, you know, you know, spurring, you know, spurring action or trying to at least with the people who are approaching. And that's just it's such a remarkable thing. It's so funny to hear that the, the 245 pacer was all alone. I would have thought that he was been one of the people who would have been like the most sought out at that moment. Yeah. And you know what? I talked to him afterwards and there was a big group um, of us through probably 13.1. And then I think, you know, it's, it's the marathon. People started having bad days and they started falling off. So, you know, some people kind of ran ahead and were able to finish a little faster in the 243 area. And then the other ones fell off. So he was he was by himself when he came sprinting by me. <laughs> now it's it's also interesting to me that there would even be a need for a two forty five pacer because I would I like I'm sitting here as someone who like has their fastest marathon at three hours and forty five minutes that and someone who's running at your level wouldn't need a pacer right that you're like you'd have it pretty much dialed in at this point whether or not you're able to succeed is a whole different story but that just like that you wouldn't need someone to be like all right here's how to do this pace yeah and i and i don't know if it's necessarily you need someone pacing you but i do feel like there's energy around a pack and so having people to run with is is so valuable, um, you know, and, and just not having to worry about setting the pace for the first, you know, 20 miles is great. You just follow someone. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I have a great group of fast people that I can train with locally. And a lot of times I'm in the back of the past pack. I'm probably the slowest of my crew. And so I just, that is let... one fast crew. Yeah, crystal. It, I mean, my it goodness. Is. Yeah. But it's great for me because I just get to sit in the back and let them worry about pace and I try and hang on. Um, so I, I do think a lot of people will use that 245 pace group as just having like a huge pack of people to run with. Okay, so it wasn't necessarily the pacer themselves. It was like that was just like a unifying point for all of y'all to come together. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Okay. That's how that I a- used it, at least. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that, makes, that certainly makes a lot of sense. That's for sure. Okay, we're going to dive into this race because it's crazy. But I also want to set the stage here because yeah. this race, t- telling the story of your race would not even come close to being complete or even scratching the surface without diving into your past because it's not um, certainly not the traditional route to becoming an Olympic trials qualifier. That's for sure. I, we, were, we were talking earlier on uh, as we were kind of making sure the audio sounded okay. I said, you reminded me of like the Abraham Lincoln of marathoners and you, you blanched at first. <laughs> so the reason I said that is because you, you see all these memes um, of like, you know, failed run to make like the city council, failed run to for the House of Representatives, failed run for the Senate, failed run to be governor, and then it gets elected president of the United States, which reminds me of like your running career in a sense, not completely, but I think there are some parallels. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, there have definitely been some trials and tribulations, especially, you know, 2014 through um, 2016, I was injured more than I was running. Um, and I think I've realized this year, I'm not a great heat runner. You know, I went to New Haven for the 20 K championships and had to pull out. Um, you know, I don't take not finishing a race lightly, but I also know my body really well. And I knew it wasn't worth it to make myself sick by running in the heat that we faced in, in New Haven at the 20 K championships. Right. All right. So let's dive into the, the, the early background. What was your high school and college running like? 
<laughs> well, um, I was a sprinter in high school. Um, actually went to state as a 400 meter um, person. And that was about it. When I went to college, I joined a sorority and had the typical college um, experience, I'll say. You know, I, I like to go out and that's pretty much what I did. So there was really no running at all while I was in college. Hold on a second. All right. So first of all, what, what college? Um, I went to Missouri State University um, okay. down in Springfield, Missouri. And so, so you went there. So you, were you running the 400 or did you kind of? Opt no, out? Okay. no. I mean, I was, I did not want to run in college. Um, and I didn't even really want to run in high school. I just, it was something, you know, I was fast. Um, volleyball was probably my true passion. Basketball, um, I loved, but what made me, what made me great at those sports was that I was fast. So it just made sense for me to run track. Um, and again, I didn't even want to run the 400. I was a 100, 200 girl. And my coaches were like, you have to run the 400. We think, you know, the, the longer you go, the better you will be. Um, but it was tooth and nail. The longer you go. To, the, yes. One lap. Yeah. One lap. The longer yes. you go, the better you'll be. All right, yes. fine. But the most I'll go is one lap. Exactly. And that they really had to fight me on that one. I'm like, I do not want to run the 400, but I did. <laughs> That's hysterical. And, and truth be told, the 400 is one of the worst races. Oh, it's awful. That last hundred. And, you know, I remember I could feel my hamstrings shaking. I'm like, this is no fun. I like a 100. I'm done in like 12 seconds. That's great. <laughs> I'd love to hear what your coaches said to you because like what I ran the 400 in high school and I remember talking to my coach and I'm like, all right, so how do I, you know, this is after I've been doing it for a while. I'm like, I just don't feel like I'm getting the pacing right. Like I'm just not, you know, he looks at me, he goes, he goes, what pacing? Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? What pacing? Like we just weren't connecting. He goes, there is no pacing. You run as hard as you can. I'm like, no, that's the 100 meters. (laughs) Yes. I which, Which I was also doing. I'm like, I don't, what do you mean? You don't, slow down and you don't pace I, I i like it was missing it completely like i am unable to do that and i guess this is why i never ran faster in the 55 seconds in the 400 well that's a that's a great time first of all the fastest i ever run ran i think was 60 seconds but i i agree there has to be some kind of pacing and it's kind of funny i was probably the fastest 400 runner at our school, but I would not anchor our four by four team because if we were losing, I would just take out and start sprinting and then I would die the last 200. So I actually ran the first leg of the four by 400 just so I could just run my race and not worry what the other people were doing. (laughs) I'm so jealous of you. I wish I ran the beginning (laughs) because I've never been closer to like wedding myself than like sitting there waiting for the, for the baton in a four by 400 race. Like just like the mix of like anticipation mixed with like the pure dread of the feeling I know I was about to experience. Like I would be hopping around doing the PP dance, like on, in lane three, everyone's like, what is going on? This has happened like time after time after time. Yeah. It's like at the start of a marathon or any race, you're just so nervous. So yeah, I, I was always glad that they would let me run first, but I think they knew that I would be like, I'm, I'm just not going to run the race if I don't get to go first because <laughs> it, I did not like the 400 as it was. So for me to do the open 400 and be on the relay team, they knew they were kind of pressing their luck. <laughs> so spoiler alert you ended up running farther than 400 meters in your running life so what i did so so what turned you post-college to look more towards the running side and kind of putting all that speed that was innate to you to some good use um it was my husband and i think and well my future husband at the time he was not my husband um we met at boeing where i work and bunch of them were doing a half marathon. And so they went and they did a half marathon. I'm like, you know what? I was a runner in high school. I can run a half marathon. So I actually ran a half marathon before I ever ran a 5k or a 10k. Um, So I ended up running, you know, a half marathon in 2005 in the spring of 2005. And I signed up for Chicago because that was, you know, I, I ran a half. So sure, I'll do a full 
Um, and so really I had run, I actually ran a full marathon before I ever did a 5k. Wow. If the 18 year old self could see you then. Yeah. Right. Right. I still remember we did a fundraiser, um, for my high school track team. And part of that was we had to run five miles and I think we got paid a quarter or whatever for however many laps we did. And we could only go up to five miles. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I cannot run five miles. <laughs> like, this is crazy. And now, you know, I, I love big miles. Um, I think, you know, I'm always asking James, my coach, like, hey, can we increase mileage? Um, but given my injury history, we, we've definitely had to be a little cautious. Yeah, that's for sure. So what about that first half marathon experience led you to kind of, you know, start embracing longer distance running with, you know, with both arms? Um, you know, I, I just enjoyed it. And again, my soon to be husband again, wasn't my husband at the time, but they had all signed up for Chicago. So I'm like, you know what, that sounds fun. I mean, if I did a half and I wasn't um, completely exhausted, I should be able to run a full. And so I ended up signing up for Chicago. Um, and then I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, a half and a marathon are nothing alike. <laughs> Um, I definitely hit the wall in my first marathon. I think I ran around three thirty, Um, and it, it was, it was difficult, but then, you know, you're like, well, I think I can do better. And I had qualified for Boston. I'm like, well, I kind of have to do Boston. Right. Um, so I signed up for Boston and then I got a little faster and from then on a, a monster was born. Now, is it, what part of your training during that time did you really enjoy? And what did your training look like, generally speaking? Well, I didn't, you know, I, I think I was following Hal Higdon's. Um, I swear you know. to goodness, I think, I think <laughs> 95% of the people who have been on this show have done the Hal Higdon <laughs> Yeah, training. right. It's like, I feel like I could just like edit that part out and like insert it into every episode. This is hysterical. I, this guy must be rich. I think every runner I've ever met be. has done his marathon program. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, you know, and I followed him for a while and I kind of came to a point where I was running 316 regularly. And what I wanted to do, I wanted, and at the time, the men's Boston qualifying time was 310.59. And I really wanted to hit that standard. I don't know why, but that's the standard that I chose. So I ended up hiring a coach to try and get me to that 310.59 mark. So what was that process like for you? Like what, what changed once you had a coach in the mix? Well, um, I, it was someone to hold me accountable for sure. You know, I, when I was just doing house plan, I would be like 45 minute tempo run or a 10 mile pace run. And I, I just wouldn't do it. (laughs) Um, And so having a coach just kind of directed that, that process for me, it made me accountable. Um, And so I really started to see some improvement in every distance across the board um, once I had a coach and had that structure. Now, was did that hold you accountable because you were paying for it? So all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm paying for this. I might as well make use of it. Or was it, did it hold you accountable because you like, you knew that someone was going to be looking at your calendar judging how you did? Um, yeah. And I think, and I don't know who has, but if you told me, um, go jump off a bridge, it's going to make you faster. I would probably do it. Um, so I think I'm just, I'm one that, you know, I'm just going to follow the training. I, I place a lot of faith and trust in my coaches. And so I believe that they know what's best. You know, I don't, I don't have a degree in this. So certainly I want to hire someone who's, who knows what they're doing. So I just, I'm one of those that if I see a run on a plan and I don't actually run, I'm going to feel bad about it. Um, I didn't necessarily do that with Hal, and I've never even really thought of why I didn't think that was an issue, but I, I think maybe having someone there like, Hey, why didn't you go run this run has certainly, has certainly helped. Yeah. Now, when you were cutting runs on your own, was there a certain type of run that you were more likely to uh, to cut? 
Um, you know, it was more about if I didn't get out in the morning and I was trying to do it after work, those were the runs that I would cut. It really didn't, it really didn't matter on weekends. I was fine. But you know, if I had to run after work and had no one to run with, those are the runs that I would probably be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm the exact same way. So, so you, you're a software engineer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what does that look like? What does that entail from an hour's perspective? And like, how does that, how does that leave you at the end of the day? Like, are you like mentally slash physically exhausted or how does that, what does, what does that mean for you, you know, mentally, emotionally, and physically? Um, yeah, definitely mentally exhausted. Um, but I would say Boeing has been great. I also have a very flexible schedule. I am able to work from home a lot. Um, which, which just helps, you know, I'm probably, I've got a 45 minute commute one way. Um, you know, when you invest so much time in running, you need to eat healthy, you need to, you know, get enough sleep. And so just having, so really by the time you run, shower, get ready for work and drive to work and then pack all the food that you need to make it through a day, you were looking at like three hours worth of your day. So the fact that they have allowed me to work from home um, has really been huge for me being able to put the emphasis on training that I want to put on it. Yeah, that's for sure. And then what, what about coming home after work would lead you to not getting a run in? Well, now I don't leave it for the evening. So I don't ever run in the evening because I just know I'm, I'm definitely an early morning person. So um, my training partner, I will meet at four o'clock in the morning for a workout and we will be doing a workout in the pouring rain and the freezing cold in the complete dark. And that is much better for me than going at five o'clock at night. I just, I have learned that that is the kind of runner I am. I need to get it out of the way. And then I can enjoy the evening, but really I'm not enjoying the evening. I'm just a zombie because I know that I'm tired at night. All right. So let's talk about the, the nighttime slash early morning routine. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, like, so, so what do you do before bed and what time are you heading to bed? Uh, well, it's embarrassing. I mean, I'm 40, but it probably reflects the bedtime of an 80 year old. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am like when I was in heavy training, I was probably in bed by 8.30 at night um, and asleep by 9. And then I'm getting up probably anywhere between 5 or 5.30 um, and getting up and going and running. So, um, again, I'm getting a full night's worth of sleep, but I'm going to bed pretty early. All right. And then you mentioned before that there are certain runs that you were up at 4 a.m. or you were already out yes. the door at 4 a.m. Yes. What, what were those about? Well, you know, when you have 18 miles to run before work, um, you you have to get up early. So the alarm, you know, and I'm one of those that I need to eat and I need to be awake and I need to have my coffee and I need to make sure that I go to the bathroom before a workout. So it was sometimes it was three o'clock in the morning, the alarm would go off. Um, and you know, a lot of those really early runs, I was doing it to help out a friend. Um, unfortunately she got injured. Um, but she needed to be back at her house before six o'clock in the morning. So that led to a really, really early start, Um, but again, I, I feel like there's power in the pack. So to have someone out there with you at four o'clock in the morning, you know, doing the daily grind of trying to get faster and meet your dreams is so much better than trying to do this on your own. Now, was it hard for you to find people who are of the same caliber as runner as you? Cause I know that could be a tough thing for a lot of people is getting someone to match their level or even kind of having the same training schedule because things can be so individualized and even just like five to 10 minutes, five to 10 seconds, pardon me, per mile difference can be a lot over like a 20 to 30 minute span or more. So how does that work for you? Um, You know, I was actually very lucky. Um, I have a couple of guys that I run with on a regular basis who, you know, were much faster than me. Um, and then there's a female here and she's actually being coached by James. Unfortunately, she got injured. Um, but you know, she was definitely faster than I was. Um, and so it really helped kind of elevate my game to just try and stay connected 
to the pack. Um, it definitely worked out well because we were both tra- training for CIM the summer. And so our workouts were the same. And so, you know, she was maybe five seconds, 10 seconds faster than I was, but trying to maintain that gap was something for me to focus on each and every workout. Um, and so it, it's definitely a shame that, that she got injured because I know she would have killed CIM. You're right. That is a huge benefit. I've been to some some track groups where I was lucky enough to be in that exact same situation. And it really is nice to just like sit on someone's heels, try to like basically go internal and like, yeah. be able to like completely remove all external stimulus and just like follow someone's heels. It really it really can like make you so much of a better runner, especially if you're following somebody who's just a little bit better than you. So yeah. it's like it's not as if they're going to gap you, but you know, you still have to put in that little bit extra. Yeah. And you know what? It actually it paid dividends for me. So by the end, we were running together. And so I was able to see that tangible progress that I had made, like the guys that, you know, I was probably 30 seconds back. Now I'm maybe five seconds back. So I could see where I was actually gaining and improving, um, you know, which definitely is a self-confidence booster, which I think is something we all need (laughs) in this crazy sport. (laughs) So as you're progressing year after year, you're, you're, you're really, you know, you're obviously, I'm, I'm, I was going to assume that you're conscious of like where you fit in in terms of like the marathoning world because you're running with really good people and you know you're you're Boston qualifying and you're running a lot of running a lot of miles. When did you? I guess what were your goals? You know, say a decade ago or five to ten years ago, did you have concrete goals? Yeah, and I think it was that you know sub three ten fifty nine, um, and I ran like three ten twenty nine, and this was back in 2011. So this is a long time ago. And then the, my coach at the time really wanted me to kind of focus on shorter stuff. Um, so I didn't run a marathon for a very long time, but then the injuries came and I had, you know, stress fractures and stress reactions and actually ended up with double leg surgery from probably, you know, 2014 until 2016. All right, let's dive into it. So what, what were you doing pre-injury and what were, what were some of the first injuries that popped up? Um, They were, so I've had a stress fracture in my tibia, stress fracture in my metatarsal, stress fracture in my fibula. Um, I actually went, when I had the stress fracture, in my fibula, um, I went and got imaging done and they taped my legs together to make sure that I wouldn't move my legs. And when the report came back, they're like, you have a stress fracture in your fibula. You've got a stress reaction in your tibia. And then in your other leg that doesn't hurt, you also have a grade three stress reaction. Um, and so at that point I was like, this just doesn't, make any sense. Like I was maybe running 60 miles a week. It wasn't that intense. And so I went to my orthopedic guy who actually knew me very well at that time, because every January I was in there with a stress fracture. Um, And, you know, I was kind of explaining some of my symptoms and he said, I think you have compartment syndrome. Um, So in March of 2016, I actually had all four compartments released on both of my legs and nerve decompression performed um, on both my right and my left leg. So say that again. So what, what, what did you do for the compartment syndrome? Um, so the, I, it's a fasciotomy. So they basically release all four compartments. Um, I actually have three incisions per leg. Um, And then they also did nerve decompression. I'm not quite sure what all that means, but since then I have learned that nerves take a really long time to heal. Um, And so uh, my old coach, and this was kind of the breaking point of my old coach um, and myself's relationship. um, He pushed me to come back too soon, um, you know, and, I don't want to get into all that. It was, it was kind of um, traumatic, but by October of that year, I was like, I need a coaching change. 
my body just still didn't feel right. And it probably took a good year for me to feel like myself again after running. Now, you mentioned before that you were only running, I shouldn't say only, because like 60 miles yeah. a week is a lot of miles. <laughs> yeah. But comparatively speaking, given the nature of your injuries, you were only running 60 miles a week. And you mentioned the, the, the quality of it. So what, what caused this issue? You know, that is a good question. I'm not sure. And, you know, even in high school, I think I sat out my senior year of track because I had um, shin splints or so I thought. And I think just this whole time I've had compartment syndrome where, you know, the pressure becomes too much and you get the sharp shooting pains and the numbness in your legs. Um, So then after that, you know, I had the surgery to fix that. It's been better. So you, you kind of alluded to a long recovery period with your statement of, and then I learned nerves take a really long time to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so tell me a little bit about the last couple of years in terms of the, Mm -hmm. what the, what the recovery process, the ups and downs has looked like. Um, yeah. So I had my surgery in March of 2016 and here in St. Louis, there's, um, a one mile race and they have, you know, an elite field and it's a great event. And my old coach pushed me to run that race, which is at the end of June. Um, so I'll, I'll let you do the math on that. You know, I just had surgery on both my legs and I'm already trying to race a mile in June of that year. Um, and I ended up pulling my calf, um, and just, I just didn't feel good. Like, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was because I was getting older. It just, something felt off. Um, and so I think I started to compensate a little bit. My back started hurting, um, and just all of my runs felt painful. So then in October, I finally, you know, it was like, I need to split from my coach. And I found James McCurdy, who is amazing. Um, and then I started training under him, but I still wasn't feeling good. Um, and turns out he was finally like, Hey, you need to go get stuff checked out if you're still not feeling well. Well, I had a double pelvic stress fracture, um, both in my right, and my left pelvis. So that was probably in January. That was 11 weeks of no running. And so then we kind of started back. And then you, after a, pel- I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah, but I'm yeah. just, when someone, so when you had that surgery to repair, was it surgery to repair the pelvic fracture? No, no, okay. it was the compartment syndrome, which is okay. actually like down on your calf area. Okay. So when you have the, the fractures in your pelvis, what do you have to do during that 11 week period? Are you like braced at all? Like what is, what does the recovery actually look like? Um, not much of anything. So you can't do elliptical. You can't do bike. I was cleared to swim. Um, but I just, again, my symptoms, they were mostly in my lower back. And so even when I would swim and I am not a great swimmer, I felt a lot of pressure in my lower back and even swimming was painful. Um, and you know, I just don't, I love running. Like I just, I love it. I know that Sarah Crouch has talked about that thread and I feel like we share that common thread. That one thing that keeps us coming back to the sport is that we just love it. Um, and so, you know, swimming when it's painful and you don't enjoy it, it was really hard for me to get in the pool. So I pretty much lost all my fitness, in those 11 weeks where I was trying to, you know, heal that stress fracture. And how, what was, what was going through your mind during that time? Um, you know, you've spent so much time, you know, trying to get better at this sport. You mentioned before that, you know, after that mile race that you did, you had the thought of like, maybe it's cause I'm getting older. Yeah. You know, what during those eleven weeks? What what were you thinking about, and what were some of the things that you had to overcome mentally? Um, I don't know if, and you know, hopefully runners are never injured, but it's a very difficult time. I would say there are a lot of tears, um, and what I learned in that process that I was putting too much emphasis on my self worth and my self value on the times I was producing. Um, which doesn't work well, you know, you're going to have bad races, you're going to slow down, perhaps. And it it just it 
it, it was a vicious cycle. Um, and so I think leaving my coach and that that's how I knew James was going to be my coach. I remember the first conversation that I ever had with him and he's like, Crystal, I don't care if you run a 24 minute 5k or a 15 minute 5k, I'm going to treat each and every person the exact same. And I knew that that was the kind of environment that I needed at that point in my career. I needed someone who was, and I don't want to say coddle me, but I needed that support. I needed someone to not look at who I used to be, but this is my current fitness. And I still know that you have something in you, but it may take more time than, than you're used to. And that's okay. Right. Cause this is, if you're looking at the end of that 11 week period, or shoot. Yeah. Basically it's, it's almost a year ago. Yeah. Right. A year and a half. So yeah. I ran again for the first time in May of 2017 after my pelvic stress fracture. And again, when you come back, it's like you get to run for five minutes and then you take two days off and you get to run for 10 minutes and you had to take two days off. So um, I've really only been able to put in a year and a half of really good and not even that much maybe six months of really good mileage you know James knew my injury history it took him a full year so I wasn't even back up to 50 miles a week probably until May of 2018 so that was just six months ago right all right so was it a linear progression or did you have a couple hurdles that you had to overcome during that time (laughs) Yes. And, you know, I, people don't believe me, but, you know, so I was injured, you know, May until like May of 2017. And my first race back was a 5k in September. Um, And I ended up running over 20 minutes in a 5k, which I had never, even when I was brand new to the sport, um, I had never run over 20 minutes in a 5k. And I actually had to walk three times in a 5k. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. I have so to this do. was like a year like, ago. <laughs> like I'm, I'm laughing because yeah. like walking pace and six fifteen mile pace are very, very different. So like, what, what did that 5k even look like? Like, how do you do both of those things in such a small period of time? Yeah. I, you know, I just, I, I still wasn't feeling good. You know, I don't even know how else to, to say it that, I, my body, I don't know what was wrong with it, but I didn't feel good. Um, and so it ended up that I walked five K's in a five K. I was the one that was walking at the third mile, like the one that the little kids that go out way too fast and they end up walking. That was totally me. This experienced runner had no idea how to run a five K anymore. Wow. That's amazing. Did you ever get a medal with the, with despite walking? Yeah, they they still gave me a medal. So oh, um, I mean, I, yeah. I didn't mean like a finisher medal. I meant like like first in like oh, you know, I, like top three type thing. I or... think I was top three in that race, but I was so disgusted. I don't even think I stood, which is awful. I don't even think I stayed around for the awards. I was just like, I have no idea what's going on. Um, and James was like, I think you're sick. And so I went to the doctor, and turns out I had strep throat. Um, But I'm like, you know, I still knew my body. I still wasn't feeling good. So I actually ran another 5K um, at the beginning of October, um, you know, last year. And I barely broke 20 minutes. I think I ran 1957. And again, I had to walk some of it. Um, And (laughs) I mean, just crazy to think that, you know, my PR is 1709 which was, you know, from probably 2014. And I was like, I think that the surgery has ruined me. I don't think I will ever run fast again. Um, And so I ended up talking to James and I said, "I, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like something is wrong. My body doesn't feel good. I felt like I was wasting his time. I was not only wasting my time because I was still working hard. I was still putting in the same work ethic. I was still going out there every morning early, trying to hit these workouts and my workouts were going okay. I was hitting the paces, but then when I got to a race, I fell apart. Um, and so I told James, I, you know, I, I think I need to quit. 
And sometimes you stop believing in yourself and you need someone else to tell you, I still believe in you. And in that moment, that's what I needed to hear. I had completely lost faith in myself. I was going to hang up my shoes, even though I loved the sport and it's not what I wanted to do. But when you have such an awful experience, race after race, you're like, I can't do this anymore. And what I really needed was for someone who knew better to have faith in me when I didn't have faith in myself. Now, do you remember exactly what he said to you? Because I've been in conversations like that Mm -hmm. and they're very emotional um, and, and it can be, it should just be a difficult conversation. Do you remember exactly how it progressed? I, you know, I don't, I just know that he was like, Crystal, I don't think you're done yet. Like, if you don't want to do this, if you're not having fun, if you don't love the sport, I'm not going to force you to go run, but I think you can get better. I think it's still in there. And I needed to hear that. I needed someone who knew what they were doing to be like, I don't think that surgery has ruined you. I don't think that old age matters at all. I think it's still in there. You just need to give yourself a little bit of grace and you need to have a little bit of patience. Trust me, I will get you there. And so that's, that's what I did. Now, what about that conversation led you to redouble your efforts? Like, did you have, do you feel like there was some foundation for his belief or do you think that he just had a general belief and was just going with it yeah I mean there's always anytime you talk to James he's got proof to what he's saying and you know he would be like let's go back and look at all of your workouts you hit all of these workouts crystal like there's nothing wrong with you you're hitting the workouts it will come together you just need to give it a little bit of time um so when I really stepped back and thought about it and I wasn't thinking emotionally, but like looking at what I was running, I'm like, yeah, I, I can do this. It maybe feels a little harder than I think it should, but maybe I'm just not in that great of shape. And, you know, I started, I'm like, Hey, I just had surgery a year and a half ago. And so maybe it's just taking me a little bit of time. I am older. So just keep, chugging away. And, you know, I also, those training partners that I talk about, um, they were fantastic. I remember Krista, who's the one that got hurt and is training for CIM. I was like, I just, I don't even know what to do anymore. And she's like, just, you're fine. Just keep running. Just keep running. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just keep running. And that's what I did and, and hoped that it would come together. And it did. Now, you had you mentioned you ran you uh, raced New Haven, which was a yeah. tough one. It was Oof. it was hot. It was a tough one for a lot of runners. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. New Haven's close to where I live. I remember that okay. day very well. I yeah. didn't run it. But I just remember the, the, how hot it was. Yes, because um, I live about an hour away from there. And um, did you race before that? Did you have a string of races that like either allowed you to start building some confidence, or did you start gaining confidence just through the training? Um, you know, really, it was after the New Haven block. So I ran a couple 5Ks, well, I guess a 5K, a 10K, and a five-miler um, here in St. Louis. And our weather is very similar to what we had in New Haven. Um, we've got dew points of 73, and it's normally sunny. And I just, I've learned that I just do not perform well in the heat. And I think my workouts probably... I would say like late June, early July, really we're, we're starting to take an, a turn for the better. Um, you know, I was, I was getting a little closer to my training partners, but then New Haven happened and I actually had to drop out. Um, so then you start to kind of question it a bit, but as soon as I, and no runner is going to take a DNF lightly, but when I talked to James, he was like, I'm so proud of you. I think you just saved your fall season. So I really kind of just regrouped after New Haven and said, it, it doesn't count. You know, it was hot. It, I think the air temperature was 100 degrees when I dropped out. So so why would that save your fall season? Well, I think runners can go so far um, into the well that they can't ever recover. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that me taking a step back and not finishing that race when it was going to make me sick um, was actually a good thing to do. I, I, who knows how long it would have taken for me to recover had I actually finished that race. You know, I was kind of my, I started to see stars a little bit and I was feeling very, very nauseous. 
Um, I had some chills. Um, and I remember talking to James after the race and it, it, it was very hot and humid that day. And I was in jeans and a long sleeve shirt standing outside in the sun talking to James and was still cold. Um, and so that's how I knew I had made the right decision to pull out of that race. It, it just, it wasn't for me. Um, and so I think by me making a wise decision that I was able to continue training, it didn't take me two weeks to get back to workouts. I was able to do a workout late the following next week. And you mentioned your training had taken a turn for the better. Was that the best training of your career at that point? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, everything just started clicking. Um, you know, it had been 2014 since I had seen a PR or even come close to a PR. And so James had me run a half six weeks out and ended up running a PR on a pretty tough course um, on a chilly day. So that was a really good sign. Um, and, you know, I, I am proud of CIM, but I definitely made some mistakes during that race. I, I think there's still potential there. Yeah. I've talked to James about that. <laughs> Oops. And I'm not, I, I'll, I'll leave that between you two. Yeah. He was very candid with me in that, in that respect. Yeah. Um, we can do a follow-up at another day. Um, yeah. Nutrition yeah. is important. Apparently <laughs> let's talk about it. All right. So, so, so first of all, you mentioned you ran a PR in uh-huh. the half, yeah. six weeks out before CAM. What yes. was that time? One seventeen thirty six. Whew. Yeah. Scorching fast. So, that is obviously, you know, no race makes or breaks a buildup. And, and your buildup is more than just one race day. But six weeks out, what did that lead you, not just James, but what did that, what did that have you thinking for CIM? Um, you know, I was really starting to think that an OTQ was possible. Now, I think that James thought I was going to be faster than that even. And, you know, I had that great half, but even I remember I did, so it was 10 miles at marathon effort, two miles jog, and then a four mile marathon effort, but I had to cut down. Um, So it was what, 16 miles at effort. And my first 10 miles were like low six pace, like maybe 601. Um, My cool down or recovery miles in between there were high sixes, like 645. And then my last four, I closed at 550. And I think that that was really like, oh, my goodness, I think I'm going to do this. (laughs) Um, So it really... Every single, and while I was ecstatic to PR at a half, I mean, every single workout and every single week built upon the week prior to it. And so I really started to get a little bit of confidence that, hey, this, this could happen. I know marathons are hard and a lot can happen in a marathon, but, it, but I think I can do this. Yeah, I mean, that is, a, that is an incredible workout. I can see why you were both really excited for this marathon. So you've already talked about the beginning and sticking with the group, you know, yeah. CIM and how the first 20 miles went pretty well. So what, what did those mile splits look like during that 20 mile block? Ian, well, I um, accidentally deleted my Garmin um, and I would say, oh, Crystal. yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, I, and I kind of remember, but I would say, you know, I was probably 615 through the 10K and then I started to drop a little bit. So nothing was faster than six minute miles, but, you know, I was probably six to 612 um, all the way through 21. Um, and then I had to walk, actually. Um, I started to feel really, really sick, um, nauseous, a little bit of spinning. Um, and so I actually walked so that one mile, I probably ran 659 um, because it had some run walk in it. So how long did you walk for a total? Any guess? Uh, maybe like probably 30 seconds. Um, but then when I started back up again, it wasn't, it wasn't my legs. I was just kind of feeling sick to my stomach. Um, and so when I would start back up, I could start running 615 pace again. Um, and so I would do that. And I actually ended up walking three times at CIM. Um, so, so what about your nutrition in the race was not, was not ideal. 
Um, what nutrition? Uh, <laughs> oh, good grief. <laughs> yeah. So um, I started with the martine bottle um, and I maybe had an eighth of that. And then it just, I wasn't getting it down. I was tired of carrying it. So I, I dropped it at six, at mile six. Um, and then I didn't take anything else until 21. Um, and at that point, I was feeling pretty bad. So it was really just a couple bites of gel. And that was all the nutrition I took. So during that 14 mile block from mm-hmm. the 10th, when you dropped the bottle to when things started not going great. Yeah. This wasn't your first marathon. So what, what about this race in particular led you not to take anything in? Um, stupidity. And I, you know, my, (laughs) my previous marathons, I have ended up in the medical tent quite a bit. It's something that I know that I struggle with. It's nutrition and being able to hold it and keep it down. Um, so that was really my biggest concern going into that, that really great workout that I told you I had, which ended up being 21 miles where I killed it. I didn't take any nutrition. So at that point, um, you know, I thought I should probably stick to what I'm used to. I know that the fuel and the nutrition can make me feel sick, but it, it kind of backfired on me. Um, and that not taking it also made me sick. Um, so I think if we can figure out the nutrition, I think there are definitely faster marathon times to be run. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a yeah. safe bet yeah. to assume that, like, your glycogen-depleted marathon might not be your best marathon if, <laughs> yeah. if, if everything else is the same. Right, right. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's funny, and I, I feel bad. I don't know if you can tell in my voice, but, I, you know, James preaches about nutrition probably more than he talks about anything else. And I think, you know, my last marathon – prior to CIM was 2011. So I think there was just a lot of inexperience there. And I think the buildup as far as mileage, I would, I was more willing to run the 21 miler without fuel and feel good and hit the splits than I was to blow up in a workout because something didn't work as far as nutrition. And I now kind of realized that that was not the right choice to make, but I'm hoping, you know, before the next marathon, I'm able to, there's more time I can practice nutrition and figure out what works for me. But it's just so inspiring to hear this because one thing that you haven't mentioned, so I'll mention it, is that your marathon was basically, was it 24 minute PR? Yeah, 25 minutes and 40 seconds. 25 minutes and 40 second PR, which is absolutely phenomenal. And it's amazing to me that 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 improvement is that is is one thing when you see somebody like say like myself right so yeah. I, i'm a 345 marathoner if i cut that exact same time down like i'm still in the ballpark of fairly normal runner right whereas like you cut down 25 minutes it's like the the, the percent increase or decrease in this case from a from a speed perspective is far greater right when you start getting into the 240s you know even cutting one minute off a marathon is hard work yeah because you know it's it's just it's different than you know hey i ran you know nine minute pace down to 850 pace if you're cutting 10 seconds off a mile from like five you know 550 to 540 that's huge work did you see this if you if you could put yourself back into like that 11 month post pelvic fracture crystal harris and you said hey a year and a half from now you're going to be doing this and you'd be looking at your chops like and i can do better like would you even consider that as an option no no i mean i was so my 5k splits are what i could run in a 5k just a 5k last year Um, so no, I, and I think that James always maybe believed in me. And I think that we knew it was going to be really hard for me to get an Olympic trials qualifier until I had the block that I did. And, you know, everything just kind of came together and he was like, Hey, you can do this. I'm like, yeah, maybe I can. 
Um, so no, I did not think I would be here. It was, it's always something that I've dreamed of. Um, so even, you know, before I started having the injuries, um, I ran a one eighteen half marathon and that's when we kind of said, and I was still with my old coach. And at the time the qualifier for the half was one fifteen, and we thought, well, Hey, maybe, maybe we can get there. You know, we had only been working together for about a year, like, maybe this could be a possibility. So I would say I've been hoping for an Olympic trials qualifier for a while, but you know, you also have to be a little realistic and where I was a year ago, it, it certainly was not a feasible goal. So I've seen the video of (laughs) you, you coming down the stretch to the finish line, you and the two other ladies were obviously working so darn hard. And you can hear the, hear the people screaming your name like did you hear did you feel the volume of the moment or were you in one of those like tunnel vision silent you know uh moments no and i could definitely hear it i couldn't so it's probably um the video that maybe james captured um so i couldn't really hear him at the time um i did hear the announcer say you had 20 seconds to get here and the energy was just amazing. I mean, I, I still get goosebumps when I think about it. It was electric. Um, and so it wasn't until, and I finished and, you know, of course I'm happy, but there weren't really, there were a few tears, but not like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe this just happened. Um, it really wasn't until I got back to my phone and I had 73 missed text messages and I also got to see the video that that James um, had recorded where I really became emotional. Um, I think in that video, you can hear James saying, yes, you can, Crystal. And then his wife, Heather, is hysterically just saying, Crystal, Crystal. Um, and so it, it's something, and I hope it doesn't sound narcissistic, but it's something I've kept and um, will probably listen to anytime I'm down or anytime I think that I can't, um, it's definitely a moment I will always remember. Yeah. I've watched that video a lot. <laughs> really inspiring, but there's also a lot in that video. Cause it's just not you. Yeah. There's two other ladies yes. who are also kicking butt with yeah. the same goal that you had. Yeah. One crosses what a shade before you did. Mm-hmm. And did you mention before, you know, she starts, you know, projectile vomiting <laughs> yes. everywhere. You don't see that in that video. No, you so I don't. missed that part. Yeah. And then there's another lady who had a very different kind of like finishing experience than you two. I got her name right here. I'm sorry. Haley Sutter yeah. or Suter. Um, and, you know, she, she kind of crumbled right before the finish line and then crawled over it. Amazing. It's just like, you see, it's just, it's like the marathon, like the experience of it can be just so like even at its best or worst just so emotionally like gutting oh, it's like, yeah. I feel like i feel like i feel like you can see all of it in that picture yeah i mean it's it's unreal and you know i think Haley, uh, mad props to her i mean she crawled across the finish line and you know people that don't understand what your body does or goes through in a marathon they're not going to understand like, why couldn't she just make it another 10 feet? I mean, that's what the marathon does. And the fact that she crawled across the line, I mean, what a story. Um, just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It's like, it, it harkens back to that, that um, Pam Reed moment in the beginning of like the Ironman triathlon right before it took off when it was like the first Iron Man that had ever been broadcast on network television. And she had that same type of moment where she had, you know, she crumbled right the finish line and she, and you know, she unfortunately had gotten past, but it was one of those things. It was such compelling TV, right? Cause you yeah. see that moment and like you sit there and you're like, I can't relate to how fast this person just ran or how, how hard this person, you know, how fast the person competed if it was a triathlon, but you can, but you can relate to like, the heartbreak of the moment or like the desperation of the moment. And it was just, it is just, uh, again, I hope I'm, I'm, I feel bad. I I wish it hadn't happened to Haley, but I feel like it's one of those things you witness and you're like, Oh my goodness. Like the toughness this person showed 
is like really is remarkable. And like you said, if you haven't run a marathon, it's hard to put yourself in their, in their shoes. And I haven't experienced what Haley experienced in that moment, but it's like, again, it like brings tears to your eyes to watch it, but like both for good and bad reasons. Cause you then see them overcome it and then get over the line instead of just like succumbing to the disappointment, which of course she must've felt. Yeah. Yeah. It just amazing. I mean, there, there really are no, no words when you watch it. And I think you can see, the emotion i think you know you can also hear the emotion in even the spectators voices um even the announcer you know i you have 20 seconds you know our pacer that came you know sprinting by us i actually also was fortunate they had um several bikers on the course that were kind of following the 245 women's group um and towards the end there was a lone biker and you know, I was, I was hurting. It was one of those times when I felt like walking again and he knew I was hurting. He's like the 245 pace group is right behind you. You have to come with me. And so he actually rode next to me for maybe three quarters of a mile. Just like, you've got it. You're fine. You're Um, and so, you know, serious mad props to CIM for just having that kind of support for the women i i hope that the men have the same thing but what a great event yeah i mean they really cater to the to the people who are trying to do that who are trying to get these big goals and um you know i was fortunate to be out there for the expo and things like that and uh yeah it was really well run that's for sure yeah I'm jealous of the people who actually ran <laughs> the marathon as opposed to people who just went to the expo yeah yeah next year maybe we'll see we'll yeah. see about that all right well First of all, before we get into the last set of questions, thank you so much for coming on the show. I was just, I was excited to have you on anyway, and I was absolutely elated when I saw your results. So thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So when you go out for your runs, obviously you're with some people occasionally. Are you wearing headphones or no headphones? Um, No headphones for the most part. Okay. So... I'm not going to ask you what you're listening to, obviously. So advice, what advice do you give other people about running that you have trouble following? Um, take nutrition during a marathon, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. There is, there really is no other answer yeah. to that question. Fuel is important. People take it. Um, yeah. Um, that, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, I will say, some people would maybe say that I run my easy runs too hard as well. Um, but really I'm one of those that listens to my body. Um, if I'm struggling, then I'm going to run eight thirty pace. And if I feel good, I'm probably going to run seven fifteen pace. Um, so I'm one that just kind of does not look at the watch on an easy run. And I come back and I'm like, eh, that was probably too hard, but so long as I can recover and hit a quality session, I feel like, I feel like it's okay. Um, but I definitely, um, would probably preach that people need to go easy on their easy runs and I don't always do that. All right. So if you could run one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? Oh my goodness. Um, I might have to say CIM. Um, I've done Boston and I know Boston is Boston, but I'm not a huge fan, um, which is probably a very unpopular opinion. Um, so I probably just lost a lot of friends based on oh, No more yeah, friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, what I liked about CIM was that it was in a big city, but it doesn't feel inconvenient ever. You don't always, ever feel like you're in this huge city. Um, so I'm from a small town in Missouri. So when I go to Boston, I'm like, this is just, there's too much um, hoopla around it. Um, and so I think I probably tend to kind of like the smaller feel races. All right. So other end of the spectrum, what is your bucket list race? Um, the Olympic trials. Does that count? I love it. Yeah. I was hoping you were going to say yeah. that. All right. So you have you have running partners, no disrespect to them, but if you could add another member to the group, who would be your dream running partner? Ooh, well, so I am from St. Louis. I'm a huge um, Ben Rosario fan. He's the head coach of Nazalite. So I would definitely take Kellen or Steph um, 
and add them to our group for sure. I love it. Thank yeah. you so much, Crystal, for coming on the show. This has been so much fun. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Crystal, for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. I greatly appreciate it. This was such an entertaining, informative, and just generally interesting conversation. I had a, just a blast recording this. Big shout out to my friends over at McCurdy Trained for sponsoring this episode. Obviously, their impact on Crystal. I mean, hey, you don't need to hear it from me. You heard it from her at several points in this episode. They do great work. I have a coach, I James McCurdy, who runs McCurdy Trained, is my coach, as well as Crystal's. I can tell you myself, he does a wonderful job. Check them out, www.mccurdytrained.com. Also follow them on Instagram. They're always publishing their stories. Um, I should say, their athlete stories, um, not only in the IG story section, but they post about them as well. Also, Megaton Coffee, twice the caffeine, unbelievable taste. It's fueling the Rambling Runner podcast. And if you haven't tried Megaton Coffee yet, what's stopping you? This stuff is really, really good. And it's just completely worth your time. And if you go now to check them out at megatoncoffee.com and use the code RAMBLING20, you will save 20% off an already great deal. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I really appreciate it. And happy running.